Hello and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with a House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I work in eastern Massachusetts and my specialty is additions and renovations to existing homes. So I started this podcast as a way for homeowners to learn everything they could about renovations and I cover a lot of practical topics, um, HVAC, doors and windows, skylights, different elements that you would put in your house. I also have stories of home renovations that I've been having homeowners on here talking about their stories, which I really enjoy, and I hope you do as well. And also, I am personally very much into the garden side of home and garden, which is my uh, podcast classification. And as you may know, my definition of home extends beyond the building itself to the plantings and gardens on the property. So, as the spring is upon us, I'm eager to talk more about plants and how they contribute to our lives. So my guest today is Tegria Gardenia, and she is a nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach. Her studies focus on plant intelligence, the effects of plant music on human health, social innovation, and ecosystems thinking. She's a world ambassador for plant intelligence, and she champions connection to nature as the basis for long-term health, happiness, and success. I have many links in the show notes that will be of interest. Visit her website, degriagardenia.com, for much more information than we cover in this episode. So let's jump right into the conversation. Tell me about what you do. Or tell me, <laughs> tell me what you're thinking. I am a nature-inspired um, mentor and a leadership coach. And I come from a very varied background. So I'll give a little bit about my background to better explain what it is that I do because, and why we're here, like, you know, what does a nature inspired mentor have to do with, you know, home stuff. And so I'll, I'll get to that. So my background is actually music engineering and electrical engineering. So I've got kind of that engineering brain, but on a very creative sort of side. And I've done a lot of things. I've worked in high tech, um, working for companies like Real Networks and Microsoft, and I've also had a production company with big, large events, and I eventually left the U.S. on tour with Cirque du Soleil. Um, there's an undercurrent there of spirituality that also touches. I used to teach Kabbalah and sacred geometry, and so these things sort of kept married together. And I live in a place that's considered kind of one of the largest spiritual eco-communities in the world. It's called Domenher. It's in northern Italy. And when I moved here originally, which was not planned at all, I thought I would be here six months and that was 10 years ago. So it's a very kind of place that um, captures us. And here we have what is considered um, the kind of eighth wonder of the world. Also, it's, it's these underground temples of humankind. So completely built inside of a mountain, completely done by us with our hands, no super power, like massive tools, really the original started in the late 1970s by hand with like chisels and hammers and <laughs> pickaxes and stuff. But the thing about this place that really transformed the way um, that I live my life and the direction in which I take have taken my life has been a, a little device called the music of the plants. And it's a device that allows plants to compose music. And um, when I first heard this, remember music engineer and who worked in high tech. So the idea of electronics helping us 
listen to plants was already kind of mind blowing to me. But more than anything, this music, I think because I am a musician, because I do have that sort of music background. And there, there is a, there is a saying like kind of in the research world that says that we think of music as a language, but in reality, language is a type of musicality and music really came first. And that music allowed me to really hear the plant, to see the plant, to experience the plant. And it took me down a rabbit hole of how do the plants do this? Like, what is plant intelligence? How is, what is plant cognition? What is going on here? And what I discovered on this kind of journey that's been taking me since, since basically 2013 has been to really understand how is it that the plant mind, how is it that the way plants make decisions, create ecosystems, create environments, helps us in our own built environment. So in the meantime, I have studied um, biomimicry. Um, so the whole idea of how do we mimic processes and models of nature in order to build in the built environment for both social innovation, as well as for the, the actual physical construction of the built environment. I have a master's degrees in something called vegetal future plants, social innovation and design. So a lot of which is in the School of Architecture from the University of Florence. So kind of the idea of sociology as well as art, as well as design, all from that perspective of the built environment. And I've worked on a number of projects at the EU level that are around the built environment, things like how do we change you know, water loops? How do we change the way that we build certain systems to bring it in? And for me, it's all kind of stems from this plant approach. So my, my practice is really around mentorship how do we bring in more natural thinking, more thinking like plants and nature because we are nature? Mm. And then there's the other part of it is how do we become leaders in this field? So I work with individuals as well as corporations and, and groups in how do you become a, a, a naturally conscious leader? How do I make conscious choices that affect the environment around me, whether it's socially or physically? And how do I do this in a way that is more in tune with my true nature, with, with what's inside of me, using science, using spirituality, and more importantly than all of them in some ways, like the thing that glues them together to me is the arts, the creativity side of it. How do you use that creative aspects to tap into your own nat natural creativity? Because nature is creative. Nature is always looking for new solutions and new ways of doing it. And the science shows us the benefits of being able to do this. I don't know if that was like explanative enough or. No, it's pretty fascinating. There's so many, so many questions that I have about the whole, the whole topic. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of very mind expanding to think about this <laughs> differently this way. But yeah. to um, stay within the confines of the podcast, I guess we're going to have to stick with um, <laughs> this in a how, what does plant intelligence mean to, let's say, the average homeowner who is planning their landscape, let's say. I mean, it's very mundane, it feels like, right. but those choices seem like they are more important than perhaps we really think about. And they really are. And I think that that's the aspect that is most exciting as we become much more plant aware, as we strip off sort of our blinders to this plant uh, blindness that most people suffer from. Um, we start to look at, let's take that landscape that you were talking about. So today, most of us will think about the landscape from the perspective of either beauty, right? How do I create something that's aesthetically pleasing? And we, we, we think of it as kind of like decoration. 
But in reality, those plants are doing way more than that. And, and if we take the time to create these relationships with the plants, we have the ability to create a garden that not only does it create beauty, which beauty usually inspires awe, and awe has been scientifically shown to actually enhance our wellness. So that's one ask, one, one train, right? Which is, yes, that beauty aspect is important. It's not a shallow, I just want my house to look nice so that my property values are high. It's also that that beauty inspires me in my, in my day-to-day life. And it, and that inspiration creates a certain chemical reaction inside of my body that allows me to move towards wellness. That's the first thing. Mm. The second part is connecting with those plants and like thinking about those as an ecosystem, as a way that they work together. The plants are actually all coordinating in together also has the ability of one creating pockets of places where the body, where the plants, specifically certain kinds of trees, but also certain kinds of grasses, can give off a series of chemical signatures and a, chem, a series of different chemicals that enhance our wellness, right? Just, just 20 minutes taking a walk in nature in a natural environment can actually lower my cortisol levels by up to like 50%. And it also inspires a whole series of different types of um, what's called natural killer cells and terpenes. Like there's a whole series of, of interactions at a chemical level between myself and my plants. So when I design that landscape, if I think of it more as, you know, an environment that is connected to me as an environment that I can peruse, that I can spend time in, that encourages me to 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 be there, then there is that reaction. The other aspect of it is even just looking out the window. It's been shown that in hospital patients, for example, when you look out into and you see a tree, when you see nature, you actually heal faster. So again, all of these health benefits come from that interaction. Plus, if you go a step further, and again, this all depends on on who you are and what interaction level you have with plants, you can actually get the direct benefit from a more kind of a spiritual level, from a psychological level that's beyond just that wellness, but really about that that creativity that comes when I'm immersed in nature, when I spend time in nature, and especially when it's nature that's outside, right right there, so close to me. Because one of the problems, for example, in a study called the the nature of of Americans, is the fact that Americans think that nature is out there. It's far. It takes a long time to get to. So we don't experience those health benefits because we don't spend time in nature. But if I build it into my landscape, if I create those systems that also can mirror the harmony and the systems that go inside of my home, I now have the ability to create a self-generating positive mental and physical health system between myself and my home. Mm, so how do you do that? Is, there, is that an easy answer? Is there an easy answer for that question? Probably well, not. It, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's not a hard question. A lot of it is related to where you are, right? So native plants really connecting into the nature of place, right? If you look at something like the, the, the living building ch- uh, challenge, right? And the standards that have been created there, when it talks about, you know, some of these petals, one of those petals is, is connection to place. So what are the plants that were, are connected to that place? How do I create a landscape that's not just a bunch of exotics and, and cultivars that have been you know put into this, but in reality, something that naturally blends into the overall environment, something that is connected to that place because that will ground and root me into place. So you want to first start with the idea of what is the place that I'm in? What is it that I want to connect into where I am? 
them. Then, of course, based on your own experiences, right? Are you more of a gardener and you want to create something that's a landscape that's more edible? Are you instead somebody who's looking for something, again, more beauty? I mean, I think these are personal choices that you want to go to. But the idea is to start from that perspective, from the perspective of what is um, the relationship that I want to have with this, with this landscape and what is it that I wanted to evoke so that then I choose the plants and the companions and the, the overall design that fits into that kind of looking at it as an extension of myself. Okay. So starting off with native plants for your area, right. I mean, I always encourage people to do that anyway, because the native plants are already there for all of the the animals that naturally live in your mm -hmm. and the insects and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, what happens when you? Okay, this is maybe kind of an out there question, but what happens when you combine uh, an exotic plant with native plants? If there are a bunch of native plants and they've established a relationship with each other, I don't even know if this is how it works. <laughs> but then you introduce, like you saw a pretty shrub, let's say, that is not right. native. And then you just introduce right. it to the to the to the group. Right. I mean, is is there do they re do plants reject other plants or do they welcome they other plants or what I happens? Mean, so so again, here we go back to the idea of are you doing this right? Think of it. Think of it as for humans for one second, right? I have mm -hmm. a group of friends that we're all sort of getting along. We we grew up together. Maybe we all knew each other. We've been there, right? In comes somebody else. And who maybe is somebody who's a foreigner, right? Somebody that maybe I met at work or something like that. And I introduce you to the group. The question is always, again, how do you introduce this, this plant into this existing group, right? Is it, is it a plant that is not just exotic because, but also invasive? Like, is it a plant that we know already in this environment causes harm? And that's the first question we should ask ourselves, because no matter how beautiful the plant may be, if the overall ecosystem is harmed, you've just now negated all of the benefit that you've created in this in this landscape, right? right? So that's the first thing to ask yourself is what is what do we already know about this plant before introducing the plant? Is it hostile? Is it is it going to work? And more than anything, even if it's an exotic, does the the requirements fit the requirements of the overall? Because if it's a plant that requires lots of water, for example, and you've got a garden that's based off of a, a drought situation and low, again, you're just now introducing problems that that are not going to fit. So that's that's the first thing. And in those cases, plants are pretty, um, so plants usually tend to try to find mutualism, to so try mutually beneficial and to create. But of course, if you have a situation where the, the harm being happening to the overall ecosystem is greater than the benefit to the one ecosystem, to the one uh, species, then yes, you're going to have a war going on there and, and somebody is going to get hurt, let's say it in that aspect. So mm -hmm. you really want to introduce plants that are going to somewhat play together. Now, here we have kind of differing thoughts, right? There's the kind of more gardening, more scientific aspect, which is about looking at all of these characteristics that we just talked about. Another one is the kind of more, um, you could say shamanistic perspective, indigenous perspective, which is about a relationship and looking at what the relationships are and connecting into your plants to ask, okay, I feel called to bring this non-native species into this overall ecosystem. 
where should it go so that they can have the best benefit? Can it go? Like, what is the relation? And being okay with listening and trusting your own intuition of the relationship you have with this landscape. Because if you build this landscape based on the things that we just talked about, remember, you have this benefit. You're now a part of the, the, of the landscape through your watering, through the choice of, of plants, through the actual location, you have become an active part of this ecosystem. So if you do want to introduce another part of the ecosystem, like a friend that comes into your group of childhood friends, if you listen to your friends and you kind of have a pulse on what's going on, you'll know the right way to introduce so part of also this work and the reason why it is so beautiful to do it around your home is that it is a part of a way for you to reawaken inside of yourself that deep nature connection, that deep connection to yourself so that you start to, I guess you could say, understand yourself better. You start to trust yourself better and you are listening, which is, you know, essential for, for real leadership in whatever area that you're in is that listening. And you will hear from the ecosystem where, how should I, like all of these things and not just doing it as a priority. One of the problems that we as humans try to kind of do is we jam our desires into things it's because we're afraid of like, oh, well, what if, what if they get rejected? So I'm not even going to ask, I'm just going to put it in there. That's going to cause you a, a war. Be okay with the idea that the ecosystem might not be able to handle it, that maybe that's a beautiful plant that should go in a pot somewhere in another aspect of the landscape. That doesn't mean don't introduce, but don't include it into the ground. Maybe keep it in a nice pot in somewhere else. Maybe put it into, you know, something that stays inside the home, like be open to that relationship with your land. Hmm. How, how do you communicate that desire to be in harmony with all your plants if someone else is designing it or do you really have to design it yourself if you know what I mean well I mean having a landscaper like having somebody who's a landscape architect a landscaper who comes in and helps with you could be really great from that um that practical side that you as yourself as a consumer might not have mm. right but just like anything and, and you know you see this in architecture we see this we tend to relinquish our control we tend to say I don't know anything so let me out I don't have a value to give and that's the other piece of it is you do have a value because you have the intuitive connection value which is super important so instead of just looking at something that the landscaper or whomever it is that you're working with the designer puts in front of you and blindly saying yes take a second with it take a second with it to like take that that design out into the space that you're about to create sit down with it, allow yourself to kind of be mindful for a second and bring yourself into the place that you're in. And again, trust that your intuition will give you some indications. Yes, this feels right for what I am, for what I, for, for what I'm creating and what I, the relationship I want to have be a part of the process rather than just kind of closing your eyes and saying, they're the expert. They will tell you. And more importantly, also in the choosing of the person, if you do want to go down this path and create a landscape that really is a reflection of your own, um, your own essence, your own health, then you you want to pick somebody that you can have that conversation with that understands your desire and, and who's going to present it to you in that way, because they're going to come back and say, okay, I've like, I mean, I mean, we see this in and we're starting to see this even more. I worked with an, an architect on a, on a biomimicry project. And when he came to, to the location, we spent probably hours just connecting to the space 
right? Just connecting to the overall goals of what we want this building to be, of what we want the message of the building to be, what we want the, and like, for example, there, this is an area that has a lot of like water flowing through it. And we wanted that water, but it's not necessarily like close to the ocean or anything like that. It's, it's a mountain area, but we wanted that sense of water. We wanted that sense of flow. We wanted the sense of all those pieces, right? So you already communicate that when you say, I want my landscape to have this energy, this, this aspects of it, these, these types of healings. And, and you could even communicate, like, here's some of the deficits that I, as a human being have, or that my, my household needs. And could we pick plants that help enhance those types of characteristics, right? And here you get into the ability to really expand who you are through this garden, right? I get to expand my own perceptions. Um, for example, there's some really beautiful healing gardens that are created in hospitals that are more based in smells, that are based in tactile pieces, that are based in other things and just vision because we want to expand our other senses. And some people might not be able to have their vision completely in that aspect and you still want them to enjoy it. So that's the other aspect is, is this a garden for you to look at? Is like, you're going to be looking at it from the window. Is this going to be instead a landscaped area that is more about be sitting out there and maybe closing my eyes and going into a meditative state? Is this me of more like my stress release, right? So I need something that I can travel through, that I can walk through all of these types of elements, the more we get in tune and we don't think of it as just pretty and out there, but we think of it as a function, like what is the function? Because everything in nature has a function. That's the reason why nature creates no waste situations, because giving everything a function means that you're able to create systems where the waste of one becomes the fuel of the other. And so if we think of that garden as, or that landscaped area around the home as a function of the, of our, for our family, for our, ourselves, for, for what it is that we want to live in our house, then it becomes way easier to work with a professional and to discover together what those functions are. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the idea of sense in the garden and experiencing the garden as you walk through, what do you feel, what brushes up against you, um, or what scents are released at that time. So I, I definitely, I definitely am intrigued by what you're saying and thinking about how I can improve my own garden. Cause every, you know, every spring you go out and see what survived the winter and I have some opportunities to introduce some new plants this year. So, um, how I have a question though about plant intelligence. So how, do you define that? How, how what, when you when you say plant intelligence, what does that mean? Yeah, so this is this is somewhat of a controversial subject in and and which is great. That's that's the beauty of it, right? Is that we tend to attribute intelligence to certain types of species, right? We think of certain species as being able to be intelligent because we use these certain criteria. Now, in general, intelligence really kind of comes back to the idea of being able to um, modify my behavior and my based on something that happens in the environment, right? I'm able, I'm aware of what's happening. I remember, and I'm able to make a decision based on what is happening. And that's really the, the kind of base criteria that we can use for intelligence. Of course, we can go up more like some people will say tool building and tool using kind of things, but plants do use tools. It's just not with their hands like we do with humans. So we want to get into some of the more complicated ones. We'll just go into the simple, which is, again, I'm aware of my environment. So I know everything that's around me. 
I can then take in that input and I can compare it to a memory that I have about that. So I don't know that particular kind of nourishment is actually going to cause me harm. So I'm going to reject it. This, you know, pollinator is good. So I'm going to open my flower. This guy over here instead is coming in, is going to create harm. So I'm going to release some chemicals. These are all changes to my behavior that I make based on it. And that's kind of the, the basic definition of plant intelligence. Hmm. I know there are plants that try to repel certain insects by releasing certain, I don't even know how it works, to be honest, because I'm just an architect. <laughs> but I mean, I know, but is there like a list of different, like the intelligence of plants or the types of intelligence of plants? Or is it just something that they all have the, the awareness that you mention? And I don't, I, I can't even, def I can't even express what I mean, I'm I think thinking. The question is, is do we have levels? And I think that this comes, it's, it's a totally valid question because it's the way we think about humans, right? We have IQ tests or we have this <laughs> yeah. that kind of goes from the idea. Right. The truth is though, is that intelligence usually spans across different, different aspects, right? I could be super smart, street smart and be really book dumb to a sure. certain extent. I can be vice versa. I can have some kind of mix of the two. And in reality, plants in, in that aspect are the same, right? There's some plants that are really great in rocky environments, but if you throw them into, I don't know, a grassland, they, they have no idea what, what's, <laughs> what's supposed to be happening or mm. how to survive or how to use this type of environment. That's plants true. have though one, um, one thing that they've learned how to do, and I still, I fundamentally believe that humans can get there too. And it was something we've lost, but that we have the ability to regain is plants actually can use lifetimes in order to learn certain things. So there's much more of a trial and error that happens, you know, some, some kind of glitch comes into the system. So you have an ecosystem that's sort of found a balance and then something happens, what's called a disturbance happens. And the plants like look at this disturbance and say, okay, what, do, what do I do? Um, if I know what to do, it triggers it. If I don't, let me try something. And sometimes they win and sometimes they die off. Right. But, but even plant death is way different than human death because we have maybe a leaf died off or maybe just the flower died off, or did it go all the way down to the roots? Or maybe I lost half of the plants, but there's, there's this propagation that happens. I go to seed, I send, I, I encode all this information in. And we do know that plants recognize their kin. We know that, that trees, for example, are able to know which are the trees around them, what are the saplings that are growing, are actually literally their kin, like that come from them. They know which ones are family, which ones are direct children. And so there are these types of relationships that that grow out in different um, in different systems that allow them to sort of be a than we are because we're we're a little bit too worried about kind of keeping the status quo when plants are like oh you've got a disturbance let me go back through my memory bank is this something i've dealt with oh no i've never dealt with it okay let's just try something you know and see see what happens type of aspect mm. and i think science right now is trying to understand a lot because there has been a really big resistance to calling plants intelligent because if you really think about it and think about it from the landscape we're talking about if i build an edible garden being intelligent beings, right? We we already kind of struggle with this concept when we think about it from an animal perspective. But imagine the vegans trying to deal with oh, the idea I know, that I know that's why I can't <laughs> even think about it. What what could you eat? I don't know. That's well, it, it's it's a, it's it's actually not about what you can eat, right? It's about how you eat, right? Mm. The the whole perspective is that I was just uh, listening today to. Um, to this study being done, these this work that's being done by the relationship girls. And um, and this the scientist was explaining how the oak 
I mean, the oak tree actually creates, you know, they're not, they're acorn. And there's a large part of that acorn that is completely given to the squirrel. Like there's a tiny part that is about housing the, the taproot, the actual kind of seed that can become a new oak. But the rest of it is just meat that the, that the oak creates because they know that the bigger the payload, in other words, the more amount of kind of food that's in there, the farther the squirrel will take it away. Yeah. So that's how plants travel, right? That's the True. intelligence that we don't think about it because, but that's how they hitchhike rides. And that's pretty clever. That so is they pretty say, clever. Okay, Okay, they've created a system that some kinds of squirrels can actually pull the taproot out. In other words, they can pull out the seedy part and throw that down so that <laughs> that starts to grow and then eat the rest. So right. they sacrifice a part of their bodies in order for their children to grow. Mm. And when we start looking at things like this, we start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I, I do that too. It's a natural process of being a mother or a father. I sacrifice parts of my life for my child. And that's a good thing. Like that ensures the race. And so I can relax into it and not feel like I'm giving things up. And so when we're thinking about it from a food perspective, we're realizing that plants are sort of doing this because the seeds move around. We are able to, they're able to grow in new locations. They're able to travel. This is how they travel. So it's about changing our relationship with what does alive mean? And again, the food for one is the waste of another and vice versa. And so we can, we, we move in this aspect, but it's all about then finding that right balance. Hmm. Well, back to the landscape, though, practically yeah. speaking. So yeah. it seems like it seems like the idea behind um, deciding what to plant at your house to bring wellness to you and um, beauty to your house is to start with plants that naturally grow in your area. So as you say, mm -hmm. if you're in a rocky area, that would be one set of the native plants in that area. Or if you're in... Um, you know, by the ocean, there's another set of plants that would naturally grow there. So starting off with native plants sounds like a place to start. Mm -hmm. um, and then where should they go from there? Should they ever look for anything else? Or do you look at see what is growing happily in your neighbor's garden? Or No, oh, I mean, I think that there is obviously the ability, there's, there's this this balance that needs to be. One is the the natural, again, the natives as much as possible. The other aspect is again, connection, right? Because we, we going back to the human example of I have my group of friends and I bring in somebody else. That doesn't mean that that new foreign person can't become just as good a friend to this whole group as, as because if that person, whether that's my partner or just a really good friend has a different series of characteristics that can be introduced into the system and that could then benefit the entire of the system. So for sure, creating a connection, like when you feel like you go, I don't know, go to a store and you see this plant that really captures you and you feel super connected, then you know that that connection is triggering that wellness inside of you. So happily bring it home, you know, as and bring it home. And then from there, decide what is the right choice in the right place. And I think that then again, that's where we talk about function, right? What is the function that I'm trying to accomplish? So that's, I think, the next level. One is looking at natives. But first, before that, the first step is really to think about what is the function that I want to carry out? How am I going to enjoy this landscape? 
how do I want to enjoy this landscape and thinking a little bit of who do I want to become? Because remember, the landscape is growing with you. It's morphing. It's changing. It's evolving just the same way. You know, nature really has one goal, which is to evolve. So if we're both evolving together, I don't I don't only have to think about where this this, you know, landscape or this garden is going to help me today. But I want to think about where it's going to help me tomorrow. What is the direction that I want to take um, as I grow older in this house, as my children grow up or as whatever happens? happens and whatever I wanted to do. So one step is function first. Think about that. The second step is what are the natural kind of um, not just not natives in the sense of individual plants, but what are the natural relationships that exist between plants when I go to plant this landscape? In other words, I don't just want to create um, put in um, put in native plants, but that don't necessarily connecting together. I want to think about what are, you know, do I have lavender and sage growing or do I have, and and thinking about also um, kind of from a little bit, you can think of it from a, from a permaculture kind of perspective of also what are the relationships you have heights, you have, you know, um, water density, you have all kinds of things. Don't forget about the mosses. Don't forget about, you know, different types of trees. Don't forget about the shrubs. Like think about it from the perspective of a rich environment. And I think one of the aspects that also sort of holds us back, and this is another place to kind of look at is, we as humans, and I hate to say this a little bit, especially as women, we're afraid of our own wildness. So we think of a perfectly manicured garden, but that's another aspect of looking at saying, where am I trying to control this garden rather than letting it grow into its wildness as a representation of my own boldness, my own wildness, the directions that I myself want to take. So that's the other aspect is don't look at it all as like necessarily carefully manicured and maintenance that I have to do, but think about it as the direction in which I want to grow. What are the characteristics I myself want to embold? And where is it that my sense of education and vision is holding me back from allowing the garden to and allowing my entire landscape around to take the shapes that they need to take in order to better represent life and better experience that. You, you mentioned earlier, if I walk through it, what brushes up against me? How many gardens do we have nothing that brushes up against this? Because we cut it all back, but we cut it all back from an aesthetic training that we've had, that we haven't allowed ourselves to truly kind of let go of our hair and just say, wait a minute, what does this garden want to be? What, how does that plant really grow? So it's not just natives, but it's the relationships and the way that they grow. Like where is the lichen, uh, the lichen growing in there? Where do I leave the rock so that the like the lichen is exposed rather than trying to power wash it off because it looks like there's something growing on there. Where is the moss creating the dampness that holds and glues together two different types of plants? You know, these are all the little pieces that allow us to start to let go and realize that for our house to become a real home, it has to be a safe place where we can express our true self. I don't even know what to say because that's a beautiful statement. At you know that's that's a beautiful way to wrap this all up. I think, <laughs> and that's so much to think about. And uh, just as an aside, my garden is um, has been called exuberant by my friendly neighbors and probably other things by my non-friendly neighbors. It is in just wild. It is very wild in a not very wild neighborhood. So. 
I can feel better about that now feeling like (laughs) I am I'm tapping into my inner inner wildness and just letting you know my hair flow yeah and just um, definitely because I love it because to me it's like experimenting out there with um and every year it seems like there's a different group of plants that are taking center stage or that are getting all the attention you know that are in their prime it seems like just beautiful and then the next year I expect them back and they don't they're not the same they've they've moved around the garden they're just not as um they're being overshadowed by something you know so it's always evolving and yeah I I love that idea of the wildness and isn't that a beautiful metaphor even just for your own life right some years or some moments uh, I have certain characteristics that are going to take front and center because that's where I am in my my evolution my personal transformation and in other moments those are going to kind of recede back they're going to be overshadowed by others and I'm going to let these other pieces come back and none of that is wrong and and that's I think the other aspects of what these types of landscapes when we really connect into them they can teach us right so Hmm. it becomes a healing garden it becomes a teaching garden Mm -hmm. because now as I sit there and I watch there's a um a beautiful book which unfortunately the name eludes me right now of a a man who spent a year sitting in the same location at a local like uh, at a park anyways when he would walk to and from work spent one year going to the exact same location and seeing the transformation that kept happening and how things like you just said take center stage here then those those kind of go back and these take instead and and that's a great representation and um and um i use the word kind of like reflection of who you are and what's happening inside of you as well as inside of your home that's very exciting (laughs) especially because now everything at least here in massachusetts is budding and coming back and i feel like um i can hardly believe it's really happening but it is. It's really happening. It's time. It's it April. Is. It feels too early, but I'm just confused about time right now. <laughs> so it's time. And it's and it's exciting to see my old friends come back. And, and um, we'll see what's in store for the year. Well, I look forward to hearing about it. Yep. I'll send you a photo. But thank you so much. This has been um, – I could talk to you forever, but we don't have forever, unfortunately, <laughs> today. So thank you. Thanks for sharing all that information. And, um, You're very welcome. I'm going to go out and chat with my plants this morning. See what's see what's going on with everyone waking up. Yay, music to my ears. <laughs> Thank you. My sincere pleasure. This is a subject that just fascinates me, and I hope you got something out of it too and are inspired to look at the plants surrounding your home in a different light. I took a quiz on tagriagardenia.com, and it turns out that I have a connection with the wild dandelion, which I have always suspected. Thanks for listening today. I'd love to hear from you uh, with feedback, episode suggestions, and there are a number of ways to reach me. Instagram and Facebook, on both those platforms, I'm Talking Home Renovations. And on TikTok, I'm The House Maven. And of course, old-fashioned email is always great, thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. And speaking of talkinghomerenovations.com, my new website is up and running even has a speak pipe where you can leave a voice message that I can include on future episodes if you have a question or something that you would like to um, contribute. Check that out. And if you feel like you have a great renovation story to tell, get in touch and you may be featured on a future episode. The website also includes transcriptions, episode enhancements, and uh, links to the shows, and we're going to keep adding to it. And uh, I'm really excited about it. 
If you like the show, please tell your friends and, of course, subscribe. And if you have time to leave a rating or a review, that would be great. This podcast is a member of the Design Network. You can discover exclusive architecture and design podcasts at designnetwork.org. And for now, this episode is produced by my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe that architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care.